This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. It's all about Jesus, amen? Well, happy Mother's Day. Welcome to Word of Grace. So glad that you've come to church today to gather with the family of God. If it's your first time here, I want to welcome you. Maybe you're here visiting because of Mother's Day, and we hope that you uh, uh, enjoy today as you come and be a part of your family, and you come and be a part of the extended family of God, the body of Christ, the church family, and that's really what we've been doing uh, since last week, launching a new series called Simple Church, really defining and explaining what that sense of family in the church is. And today, we're going to talk about investing, and we're going to talk about it from the perspective of a mother and then a grandmother in the Bible that actually did some investing of their own that really helped to set the course of a young man's life that you may have heard about in scripture. And so if you're taking notes today, I want you to write down that word investing, investing. Before we go any further in the message, I want to let you know at the conclusion of the service today, we're going to all be receiving communion together today. And if there's anyone here that maybe you are a guest or anything like that, you're more than welcome to participate in communion with us. So don't feel um, awkward. We want you to participate in communion with us. The only prerequisite that we have uh, for communion here at Word of Grace is that you belong to the family of God and that you uh, claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you don't know him, my prayer is that by the end of this message today that you'll be introduced to him and that you can know him for yourself and you can be a part of this family of God. So, as we go into the Word today, I want you to go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to talk about this young man named Timothy, and I want to give you just a little bit of background to help you understand who Timothy was and kind of the predicament and the scenario that he's in. 2 Timothy was a letter written by the Apostle Paul while Paul was in prison. He wrote this letter to Timothy. And Timothy was a young pastor. He was pastor of the church of Ephesus eventually. He had a lot of responsibility for a young guy his age. And he got a lot of flack because of his age. We can read in 1 Timothy where Paul was dealing with some similar issues where he was telling Timothy, hey, don't let anybody despise you because you're young. You're a young guy. And, and, and it was an odd thing for him to be that young with that much responsibility during that time. And so he had a lot of pressure from people that were older than him. He had a lot of pressure from people who had different positions than he had in the church. And because of that, Timothy was very intimidated, very scared about other people's opinions of him or the pressure that they would put on him. And the Apostle Paul was writing to him to address these things. But the first time that Paul wrote to Timothy... The Apostle Paul was in prison, but he was under more of like a house arrest situation. So, you know, it's not like biblical imprisonment like you and I would think where there's chains, you know, on these big stone walls and someone, you know, uh, tosses this nasty food underneath the grates of the door. Here's your gruel, you know, and there's rats running around everywhere. This was a nicer situation where Paul was actually under house arrest during the first letter he wrote to Timothy. However... The second letter that he wrote to Timothy, which is 2 Timothy that we're reading from in just a moment, was quite the opposite situation. It was more of the stereotypical imprisonment that you would probably imagine, where Paul was actually being tortured, where Paul was being questioned, where he was in shackles, where he was in prison. Matter of fact, a lot of people believe that Paul was in prison with Luke during this time as well. So here is the Apostle Paul. He's in this dungeon of sorts, and he's writing this letter to Timothy because this is one of the last letters the Apostle Paul was going to ever write. 
and he knew that his time was drawing near, and he knew what was going on in Timothy's life. And so he was going to write this letter to Timothy under those extenuating circumstances, knowing that this may be the very last letter that he ever writes to his son in the Lord, Timothy. And it's probably safe to say that Timothy and his family came to know Jesus through the Apostle Paul's ministry. The Apostle Paul had a great impact through investing in young Timothy's life, and he knew what he was dealing with at the church that he was in charge of and, and the responsibilities that he had been given. And so with that in mind, he writes this letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing. I, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that it's in you also." Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Here we see this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. We hear the heart of Paul. He said, I've heard about what's going on. I'm mindful of your tears. Matter of fact, Timothy, I want to let you know something. I am aware of your tears. I'm aware of the fact that you're afraid. I'm aware of the fact that you're dealing with some circumstances that are beyond your control. And I know you're intimidated right now. And I know that you're afraid. But I want to remind you of something. I actually find joy in the fact that your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice had this genuine faith. And let me tell you something, my son, in the Lord, that faith is in you too. They invested something in you. So because of that faith that's in you, I want to remind you to stir up the gift of God that's within you. You remember, Timothy, when I laid my hands on you? You remember, well, I want you to stir that gift up now because I'm imprisoned. And even though I want to come see you, I can't. So it's on you. You need to stir up the gift of God because it's on the inside of you. I remember your grandmother. I remember your mother. And I know that what they had, that genuine, authentic faith, it's in you too because they invested it in you said, and don't be afraid because God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. But what is on the inside of you is power, love, and a sound mind. That's what Paul was writing to Timothy. Some of his last words he would ever communicate to his young son in the Lord. Because he knew that there had been an influence in his life through his mother. He knew that there had been an influence in his life through his grandmother. He knew that there was something that these two ladies were known by that was so genuine, real, and authentic and tangible that it had been passed down to him. That it had been intentionally invested in him. Why was it intentionally invested in young Timothy? Because it was family. Because his mother and his grandmother were there understanding their roles as family. That they are to be intentionally investing as his mother did in his life that would help build up this faith because his mother knew trials were going to come. His grandmother knew trials were going to come. They knew that things were coming down the road. And they knew that if they kept investing, that what was put in him when it was time for that stuff to come out, it would help solidify who 
he was. And the reason that we influence, the reason we have influence is through relationship. It's not through any title necessarily as much as it is through relationship. Relationship really is influence. Those that you hang out with, those you have relationship with, your family, not only are you influencing them, but, but you're being influenced at the same time as well. Because that's what relationship is. Our relationships have a direct impact on the values that we carry. Or values are just simply what our actions really reveal is truly important to us. Because we show what's important by the way that we act, by the way that we react, how we spend our time. But our relationships have a direct impact on those values. They shape those values. And so Eunice and Lois were shaping Timothy's values of what was important to him. They were showing him what was important to them and instilling those things that would later become important to Timothy. Lois and Eunice invested in Timothy a genuine faith as a value. Now think about this. This was a value that Lois and Eunice invested into Timothy. How cool would it be to be known by the genuine faith that you have? I mean, that was what Paul remembered about these two ladies. It wasn't that they had really awesome hair or drove a really cool camel. It was that they had genuine faith. It was that these ladies had genuine faith. I called to remembrance because I know these ladies. These ladies are real. Don't we need some real people in our lives? Aren't we on the hunt for people that are going to be real and authentic with us? Well, these ladies were real. They were genuine. They were authentic. They were transparent. And that's what they were known by. That's what Paul remembered about them, and he knew that that same authentic faith that was in those two ladies was also in him. You see, someone invested in Timothy's family also at some point. Investing is a value that we must have as a church as we move forward in what God has called us to do in order for us to be effective for the kingdom of God because it's family, because it's not an event. It's not somewhere that we go. It's who we are, and that's what true relationship, true influence is. That's what Timothy's mother and grandmother did. It was family. Because family models what's really going on. Family models not just in front of everybody else, but behind the scenes. That's where that true influence comes from when family models. Because when someone comes over your house, you want everything to be spotless and perfect because someone may be of great importance or someone who really doesn't know who you are. They're coming over your house and you want everything to be a certain way because you want them to think that you're this way because that's what you want to show them. But once they come over your house and they start getting a little bit more comfortable with you, you get a little bit more comfortable with them, they come in the house and you don't even apologize anymore. Like used to, you would apologize when people come over. I'm so sorry, the house is a mess. I've been so busy. You know those friends you got when they come over, you don't even apologize. It's just, hey, come on in. And there's stuff all over. There's dishes, you know, piled up. And there, there, there's laundry that's unfolded or dirty laundry or toys everywhere, whatever the case may be. Why? That's family. Because family's going to see the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? That's how we gain true influence. We don't just influence when we have this appearance of having everything together and everything so well put together and looks so nice. That's not the influence that is really going to stand the test of time because anybody can put on a show. Anybody. A church can put on a show. 
Husbands and wives can put on shows. Children can put on shows. You can put on a show at work. But God sees through all that, and so do the people that are closest to you. And the people that we're closest to, the people we're willing to be open and honest and transparent with, those are the people that are going to have the biggest impact on our lives. And that's what God has called us to do, to drop the facade, to get connected, to invest, to get involved, to have those relationships, to put ourselves in a position that maybe we actually run the risk of getting wounded or run the risk of getting hurt occasionally. But it's not about a condition. It's about the fact that I know what I'm called to do. I know that I'm a part of this family. And let me tell you something. Your, your, your home, it may be messier when no one is over, when you don't have those special guests, but your family, your home environment is more fulfilling than any event that you'll ever attend. Your family environment is more fulfilling than anything you'll ever attend, any event. That's why we can't look at church as an event not somewhere I go. It's not an event. It's family. And that's what God has called us to. That's what God wants from us is for us to look at the church, the body of Christ as family, not just somewhere we go to get something we need. Like church is a commodity. No, it's not a commodity. It's family. It's where I have my deepest, most authentic relationships. When I was a youth pastor, I used to take kids to church camp. Oh, man. And church camp was the apex of youth ministry. And I would do something like this. I would say, young people, let me tell you right now. We're going to go to camp this year, and it's not going to be like the years before. Let me tell you something right now. We're going to go to camp, and we're going to grab a hold of God, and we're not going to let go. We're going to come and we're going to bring our Bibles and we're going to take our notes and we're going to sit on the front row and we're going to get so full of Jesus that when we come back, we're going to literally explode. We're going to go and actually set our schools on fire for Jesus. We're going to go and carry the gospel everywhere because we're going to come back from church camp so fired up and so excited. And don't you let that fire dwine like it has in years past, young person. Oh, Lord, let me tell you. I want you to hold on to that fire. And I want you to take it and let be the light of the world. I want to hear testimonies about young people standing up on their, on their tables in the lunchroom and pro- proclaiming the gospel. I want to hear stories about people running up and down the halls just screaming, Jesus. Because you're so on fire for God. And we would go to church camp. And everyone would get so excited about Jesus. And they would get so on fire for God. And then before we would get on the church van, I would say before we get on this church van, young person, let me tell you something. When we go back, we're going back to all those things, all those temptations, all those boyfriends and girlfriends and the television shows that you used to watch and the the problems and the things that were facing you before and the bullies at school and all the things. But it's going to be different because we've been to church camp. And they would go back, and I said, we're going to set our church on fire for the Lord. Those, those kids would get off of that church van, just ready to march through the doors of that church and show everybody how on fire that they were, and it would last for about a week. <laughs> Maybe. And that's what a lot of times that we do when we don't understand relationship and we don't look at church as family when we look at it as an event, 
because no matter how good an event is, that one event can do some stirring. That event can do some maybe course correction. But that event is not truly a long-term investment. It's a one-time shot in the arm. And we, when we look at church as a one-time shot in the arm, oh, I'm just going to go and get my little adrenaline shot of Jesus this week. Then I'm not understanding growth because for me to truly grow, I'm going to have to be invested in. For me to help others grow, I'm going to have to invest in them. This is not just an event. This is something that we do because we're family. This is the difference. It's not an event. It's a commitment. It's something that we're committed to each other during the good times and the bad, not just when you need a pick-me-up or an adrenaline shot. If that was the case, then every time that a special speaker came to town or every time that someone was in driving distance that was a big name, let's go run to them, hear what they have to say, let them lay hands on us because they've got all the answers. And we begin to look at people as the answer instead of Jesus. Even the Apostle Paul picked up on this tendency that Timothy may have to develop this crutch on Paul. Timothy didn't, didn't hear the words from Paul that he may have wanted to hear. When Paul said, you've got it on the inside of you, you need to stir it up, Timothy. Because I'm sure that Timothy wanted Paul to say something like, um, I'll, I'll be there as soon as I get out of jail. I'm on a work release program. I'll be out soon. And I'm going to run quick to you so I can lay my hands on you again. Because that's what you need. You need another pastor to lay hands on you again. You need another pastor to speak a word to you again. You need another special event. You need another speaker. You need another church camp. And we look at that and we think that it's investing and it's not. No, what he said was, I've already invested in you and so has your mother, so has your grandmother. There's something on the inside of you and you need to stir it up. He put the responsibility on Timothy for the fear and the junk that he was facing. Now, he encouraged him. He spoke it in love. He said, God, I can give you a spirit of fear, but a love, power, and a sound mind. But I'm putting the ball back in your court, Tim, because there's something in you that was invested in you. And I know it's there. I'm not going to take you back to church camp to get you a pick-me-up. I'm not going to come and lay hands on you. He said, actually, I already laid hands on you, so you stir up the gift. That word to stir up, that phrase there, is a Greek word called anazopuro. And it's a three-part word that literally means to make the fire alive again. And that means that if there's anything that God has given you, anything God has instilled in you, invested in you, it has the potential to be made alive again has the potential to be reawakened. So that means the word that you heard, that means the things that have been invested in you even from your childhood, that means the things that God has spoken to you, that He has said over you, that He has destined for you to do and purpose for you to do, those things are alive on the inside of you. I don't care how far you've gone, what you've done, how far you may think you have run from God, God's callings are without repentance. And He has called you to invest. He has called me to invest. He has called me to be a part of this family unconditionally to give to serve to love because I was invested in and I'm continually being invested in not just with the one shot in the arm event but with relationship with someone caring about me during the good times and the bad someone that is committed someone that is not looking at this as a conditional thing that meets all of my all of my requirements because let me tell you something, it's, it's, it's real easy to become uncommitted when everything in life doesn't meet your requirements. You know, Paul could have said, you know what, Timothy? 
you're kind of getting on my nerves. I mean, really? I mean, I've already put you in this position. You have the authority, and you're intimidated. Really? I mean, I guess we'll just have to find somebody else because I'm going to give up on you. No, Paul didn't give up on him. What did he do? He reminded him of who he was. What was he doing? He was reminding him of what had been invested in him by his mother, by his grandmother, bringing those things to remembrance because Paul didn't want to create a dependency upon himself. He didn't want to say, oh, yeah, Timothy, that's right. You can't do ministry without me. You can't breathe without me. You, don't, you, you can't do anything without me because I'm Paul and I'm so great. No, he said, actually, stand on your own two feet. Pick yourself up. Stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of you. You don't need me to come lay my hands on you again. I'll encourage you from where I'm at, but you've got it on the inside of you. Wow. That's the type of relationships that we need with one another where we're encouraging one another, where we're spurring one another on good works, where we're reminding one another of who we are, not creating dependency, but creating the only dependency that you and I need, not on a man, but on Jesus Christ. Amen? Or he said, no, you've got faith. You've got Jesus on the inside of you. Trust in Him. Depend on Him. You don't need me to come. You need to trust in what's on the inside of you because it was invested. You see, anybody can show up once a week, give some time, give some money, and they can call it investing. Pastors can show up in churches once a week, give a message, shake some hands, kiss some babies, and call it investing. It's not. Because here's what investing is. Investing is the everyday mix of things. Investing is not just when we come and we put on our best. Investing is when we're at our worst, that we're still there. It's when things are messy and when things are good. It's when true investing happens. You see, that's why investing is not an event. It's a commitment. Lois and Eunice were committed to investing in Timothy behind the scenes. They were committed because they understood their role in the family as a mother and as a grandmother. They knew that they were called to invest. They understood their role in the family. And for you and I to move forward with the kingdom of God and what he's called this local family, this Word of Grace community church to do, we've got to invest. We've got to invest in one another. We've got to invest. We've got, to, we've got to care. We've got to be committed because we care for one another because we understand our role. That's what the Bible says in Titus chapter 2. If you've got your Bible still open to Timothy, just flip over a few pages to the second chapter of Titus. We'll look at Titus chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and patience, that the older women likewise, that they would be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, but teachers of good things, that they admonish the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, be chaste, be homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. He said, this is your role as a part of the family of God. This is your role in the church. He spoke to the men and he said, hey, you need to be investing. He spoke to the women. He said, you need to be investing. And he's not just talking about 
a physical number. He's not talking about an age all of the time. I mean, there are definitely some things that people that are older than you that you can learn from because they've been down some roads and learned some things in life that you can glean from. But he's also talking about maturity in the Lord, things that you've come through, things that God has led you through, those things that you can be able to invest and help and be an example. Why would we be an example? So we can invest, so we can care, so we can have relationship, so we can point people to the love of God, so we can show people how to walk in victory, so we can show others what this love looks like, so we can show others what this faith walk looks like. So we can show one another the heart of God and invest that in one another. Think about where you're at in life and think about who's invested in you along the way. It probably hasn't just been one person or one couple. It's probably been a lot of different people. People who took time with you when you weren't really worth taking time for in your own eyes. But somebody cared for you. Somebody took time and began to love on you. Show you some things. Show you how a husband is supposed to treat a wife, show you how a mom is supposed to treat her children or a dad is supposed to be a man and love his kids. Maybe showing you how to grow in responsibility in other areas. Maybe showing you how to stand in faith. Maybe with you through a difficult time. Maybe helping you through heartache, through a loss. Maybe helping you to deal with pressures. Helping you to learn how to maybe handle money and budget because maybe you've been so snowed under. Helping you to reduce the stress in your home and, and, and learn how to find that peace of God that you have found because they invested in you. And you're like, man, I remember that person being that light, that person being that example, that, those people investing in me. That's what God has called you and I to do, to invest. And that happens best through relationship. That's why it happens best in the context of family. That's why if we look at church as family, then we understand our role in the family is to invest in one another. And it's not just a weekly event. It's us committing and investing during the good times and the bad times, not just on the weekend. Because the beauty of a family is a family accepts us for who we are, but challenges us to grow into who God has called us to be. We're accepted right where we're at. All of our mess, all of our junk, all of our troubles, all our scars, that, 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 that's, what, that's what happened to Timothy, that's what happened to you, that's what happened to me. Paul didn't give up on Timothy. He accepted him right where he was. His mother didn't give up on him. His grandmother didn't give up on him. No, there was something on the inside of him that had been invested and deposited. And we keep growing in those things. We accept one another for who we are, but it doesn't stop there. It's not just this accepting us for who we are because that's kind of the message that the world is touting right now. Why can't you just accept me for who I am? Don't judge me. And that's what we say. We say stuff like that. In other words, don't get up in my personal space and get up in my business and tell me I need to change. Don't point me in the direction of change. Just accept me as who I am. Yeah, we do need to accept one another as we are. That's true because that's how God accepts us, but he also challenges us to grow. Amen? It's not just about accepting. It's about challenging as well. And that's what investing will do. That's what someone investing in you do. It will challenge you to take the next step. Challenge you to learn how to grow in understanding of who you are in Christ. Because there's some things invested in you. You need to learn how to work this stuff. You need to learn how to live this stuff. You need to learn how to see the love of God that has been shed abroad in our hearts. You need to learn how to experience that through the way I'm going to serve you by investing. The way I'm going to love you and care for you by being there for you. The way that you and I are going to have relationships. I accept you for who you are, but I'm going to challenge you to grow, to be who God has called you 
to be. Lois and Eunice knew that Timothy needed to be guided. They knew that he needed to be invested in, and they were willing to do what they could by doing what? By being authentic people, by being real people who accepted Timothy right where he was, loved him authentically as mother and grandmother, and pointed him towards the truth, invested in him. That's what they did. And that's what God has called you and me to do. My mom invested in me. My mom was the type of mom, she took me to church every time the doors were open, okay? I'm talking Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night prayer, Wednesday night. If there was a church function, if there was window washing at the church, we were there. If there was painting, we were there. If the linoleum was peeling in the fellowship hall and there was something to be seen at church, we went and watched. We were just there all the time. It just felt like I lived in church even though I didn't grow up in a pastor's home. My parents weren't ministers in the, as a profession, per se. But I grew up in the church. But let me tell you something about my mom. The same lady that everyone saw at church was the same lady that I saw at home. Because she was investing. She didn't just invest in front of everyone else at church. She invested. I remember growing up, my mom would do devotions with us, me and my sister, and um, in would come our cat. Mom called our cat her Jesus kitty because the cat would always come in when it was devotion time. So apparently the cat had some kind of awareness that we were doing devotion. So that cat is dead, but I guarantee he's in heaven. <laughs> because we would just always, I remember mom writing songs. She would play the piano. And I remember she would she'd play worship songs in, the, in our home. I remember that she would go through devotional books or, or we would go through a book, even as kids. And, and there were times where we thought she was crazy and we hated it. There were times where we were like, really, Mom? But she lived it. She invested when we wanted her to and when we didn't want her to. I remember one time that my buddy Curtis, who was on my baseball team, and Curtis was a cusser, Okay. We were 12 years old, and he had a foul mouth, okay? Matter of fact, we called him Cussing Curtis because that's how bad his mouth was. Cussing Curtis came over my house to spend the night. And sure enough, I thought, Mom's going to give us a break from devotions this morning. Nope, not a chance. So here I am trying to bury my face in the pillow because I'm embarrassed because here's Cussing Curtis, you know. And my sister knew it was driving me nuts. And she's four years younger than me. So when it was time to pray, my sister wanted to just pray the loudest. And she just wanted to sing the loudest just to rub it in my face. But even when it was easy, when it wasn't, when it was convenient, when it was inconvenient, she invested. She still invests to this day because she knows her job's not done. Mom and dad, even when your kids are adults, you're still investing. Amen? You still have influence. Amen? Why? Because you still have relationship. Relationship is influence. You see, I still call my mom and I'll, I'll tell her, I'll say, Mom, I'm struggling. This and this is going on. I'm frustrated with this or frustrated with that or I am feel down about this or down about that. And I know what's coming, okay? Mom starts her sermon. She gets the scriptures going. She's reminding me of who I am. And don't you guys tell her that I do this if she comes here to visit. But sometimes she'll get to going on her sermon, her preaching. I'll set the phone down, go make a sandwich, come back, pick up the phone, and I'll go, yeah, uh-huh, yep, yep, amen. Yeah, that's good stuff. Because my mom just goes 90 miles an hour. She has the gift of gab, which she also invested in me as well. 
my mom is the real deal. She loves God with all her heart. I've seen her when her and my dad were doing children's church together. I saw how they were on the worship team. I saw how they loved God, not just at church events and church functions or on Sunday morning. But I saw how we would stand for faith, stand in faith and trust God for things behind the scenes as well. I saw that when my parents eventually ended up getting divorced, that I saw my mom, who didn't have any professional career at all, had no degree, had no previous experience. She was just a homemaker. And when my sister and I were both gone, that my mom ended up going at 45 years old, enrolling herself in college and beginning to put herself through college and getting herself these different jobs. My mom working three jobs at one time just to put herself through college when she was almost 50 years old. And now that she's 50-something, I don't know how old she is. That's, Mom, if you listen to this, if this is the one that goes online, I apologize. I don't know how old you are. You're, I know you're in your 50s. I think Mom's 52, 53, somewhere in there. But now that she's in her 50s, I mean, she's taking care of herself. She's on her own. And I see how her faith in God, even though it has been challenged, that she's still standing strong. She's investing even when things are rough. She's investing in me. She's still there for me. And when my sister and I call her, we know what we're going to get. She's not going to say, well, let me fly up there and come hold your hand. She's going to remind us of who we are. She's going to remind us of what she invested in us because that's what family does. Amen? And the church is a family. Yeah, we have our immediate family, our moms, our dads, brothers, sisters. But church is a family. And we are supposed to be investing in one another. Accepting one another for who we are, where we are, but challenging us to grow into who God calls us to be. And with every investment, there's always risk. There's always risk when there's investment. So don't get nervous about, well, what if it doesn't work out when I really make myself vulnerable to somebody, when I really open up my heart to them, when I really become transparent with someone and, and allow them to come into my not-so-pristine life. When I let them see the mess, when I let them see behind the closed door is what I don't want anyone else to see. When I really get close to someone and begin being real and authentic with them at a very deep level and I have that relationship, what if they do me wrong? What if they take this information and, and, and they actually begin to talk about me or spread lies about me? Or what if they begin to tear me down? What, what then? Well, guess what? That's probably going to happen at some point or another. Because when you invest in people, there will be times where you will be disappointed. There will be times when you will be done wrong. There will be times when people will say things about you that are hurtful, say things about you and do things to you that you just don't understand. But you don't stop investing just because of the wounds other people may try to inflict. You keep on investing. You don't stop. You learn from it. You learn from getting burned. You learn from getting hurt. But you don't stop investing. You pick yourself up from it. Because here's the thing that I want you to understand. As the pastor of this church and as this church family is called to love God, love people, and serve the world and move forward, that our passion for God and people runs deeper than any disappointment, than any frustration or any pain that we may occasionally experience. Amen, somebody. I'm going to say that again. A word of grace, our passion for God and people runs deeper than the disappointments, the frustration, or the pain that we may occasionally experience. Because with investment, there is risk. Because when you invest in somebody, there's no guarantee 
that they're going to do everything that, that, that we hope that they do. But we don't stop investing. We don't allow hurts or pains or difficulties to change the fact that we understand what we're called to do. Because our calling is not conditional. I said our calling is not conditional. When I was interviewing to become the pastor of Word of Grace two and a half years ago, one of the main questions that got asked, that I, I was prepared for every question but this one, and I got asked by almost every single person I came in contact with, wasn't things about what do you believe about this or think about this or think about that. The number one question that was asked of me and my wife when we came up here to interview was, how are you going to deal with a cold? <laughs> and then we move up here, and our first winter, everyone says, oh, that was a mild winter. <laughs> and it was a mild winter, and it, and it wasn't a real winter. When, when we saw snow, we were like, oh, look, snow, because in the south you don't get snow. And it's like, wow, snow. And I bought this giant snowblower, and I was so excited to use it. And I got on YouTube to figure out how to work it. And I was using my snowblower, and people were laughing because there was like this much snow on the ground. I'm like, man, whoo, that was a crazy snow there. I'm surprised there was bread and milk in the grocery store. And it was crazy because there was still bread and milk in the grocery store. And everybody said, oh, that's not a snow. You don't know about snow. And I said, really? And then people would tell me stories about these terrible snow drifts and, and it's cold. And I, and I would come sometimes to church and go, man, it's cold. Oh, cold. You don't know cold, Pastor. Let me tell you once. And it would just be these terrible stories about, you know, like, like fingers breaking off because of the cold. And they would be walking and literally lose a leg, you know, and things like that because they just froze solid. These terrible stories about, oh, let me tell you about this winter. And, and I'm going, oh, man. That's too bad because I, I guess I'm getting it easy, you know. And then the next winter, it wasn't really that bad, but it was a little worse than my first one. And I thought, well, okay, this, this is a win. And people were like, oh, you haven't seen cold. You haven't seen snow. You haven't seen winter. Okay, well, apparently I haven't. Well, let me tell you, this past winter has been a doozy. <laughs> and let me tell you something. I'm still here. <laughs> let me tell you something else. Now, I can say I was here when Lake Michigan froze over because that hasn't happened in a long time. I flew in an airplane over Lake Michigan, and I saw it. It was frozen. And guess what? I was here when we had negative 40 wind chills. I was here. So don't tell me about cold. I know about cold, baby. And let me tell you something else. I'm still here. Hmm. So even though the question was asked, how are you going to handle the cold, that wasn't ever a factor to me in the interview process because I wasn't looking for paradise where there's sunny with a high of 75 all the time. What my wife and I were looking for was where did God call us? Not did all the conditions meet my expectations. Not was everything always going to be catered to my liking. Did God call me? Yes, He did. He called me to be the pastor of this church. I am called to Word of Grace to be the pastor of this church regardless of what conditions may come my way. You are called to be a part of a church family 
regardless of the conditions that may come your way. You are called to invest regardless of the conditions that may come your way. You have to ask yourself, is it worth the risk? Is it worth the fact that I might not like this or like that or that I'm getting hurt or, or that, or that this, is, this is this way or that way? Are you called? Because if you're called, you'll invest. That's the mark of being called. The mark of being called is that you will invest because you understand what you're called to. That's why Lois never stopped investing in Eunice. That's why Eunice never stopped investing in Timothy. That's why Paul never gave up investing in Timothy even when he was in shackles and chains coming to the end of his life. He never quit investing because he knew what he was called to do. He was called to invest because he knew that to get the gospel to go to all nations, he knew that to get Jesus spread to all the world, that it would take investing in someone, a young man who was intimidated and scared and felt ill-equipped. And he kept investing. And he stirred him up and reminded him of who he was because he was called. That's the investment that you and I are called to make in one another. So if you do get burned, if you do get hurt, you do get disappointed if you do get frustrated. Are you called? Are you called? Because as we talk about the church being a family, we need to understand that we, we gather. The simple church gathering is a gathering of family for his purposes. Not for my catering, but his purposes. Not for my pleasure, but for his glory and his pleasure. Amen, somebody. That's why Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 and 16 says this. Go ahead and put it on the screen. Ephesians 4 and 15 says, but Speaking the truth in love, may we grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This is the purpose of the church. We're speaking the truth in love. We're supposed to be growing up into all things that is Christ. And it's going to take all of us together doing our part. Because every one of us has a role. Every one of us has something or someone that we could be investing in. Where we all do our share. Where we all come together in unity. It causes the body to grow. It causes the body to grow in what? In edifying itself in love. Loving God. So we can love people. So we can serve that's how we invest. That's how we understand our calling. And that's how Eunice and Lois continually would invest in young Timothy by showing him the truth. Not just speaking it, but showing it. I want to give you a few things before we leave today that we can invest together as a church family. These things might blow you away with how simple they are. This is investing. This is what I'm talking about, investing as a family. Not talking about some doctorate degree in theology that you need to have. I'm talking about simple things like opening your home up to others. I was just over some people in the church's house last night that opened up their home to me, and we played Settlers of Catan, and I got my butt kicked. I am not good at it. <laughs> I want to be. I don't know if you ever played that board game before. It's a lot of fun. But it was a lot of fun getting to hang out with them, get to know them a little bit more. Just opening your homes to others for meals, games, stuff like that. Asking someone their name today before you leave service. That's investing. The simple act of doing that is investing. So I want to challenge you. Challenge has been issued. 
Before you leave the service today, introduce yourself to someone that you don't know. There's somebody here you don't know. Stop sitting there waiting on everyone to come to you. Why don't you be the bigger person and take a step out and, and initiate that? Just say hi to someone and know their name and, and, and try to learn their name so next time if they come to this service continually, maybe next time you'll see them and, hey, you, I remember your name. Or if you don't, just call them Guy or Buddy. <laughs> or just tell them, say, I forgot your name, I'm sorry. We talked last week. Give it to me again. And don't be offended when somebody asks you for your name again. Number three, volunteering to help others. Moves, roofing projects, scraping floors. Just be willing to help people during a time of need. Helping at church work days by serving food, by painting, by cleaning, whatever you can do. Anyone can, everyone can do something to invest. By serving consistently at church. I, I will tell you this one, that when you volunteer at church, and you, you begin to connect to other people in a way that you never may have had opportunity to connect to them because you get to work with them, do life with them. You get to do ministry and serve with them, and you get to know who they are, and you get to develop relationships. I know people in this church that are literally best friends in this church, and they met each other through volunteering and through serving here at our church. By praying together, by calling a friend when you need prayer as well as you offering to pray for them. Call somebody when, when you need prayer. Don't just assume everybody knows what's going on in your life. And don't just put it on Facebook and think that that's adequate enough for everybody to know. And on that note, if you have a need, if you have something that's going on in your life that you want us as a church staff to pray about or you want me as a pastor or a pastoral staff to be aware of, don't just throw it out there on Facebook and assume that we know what's going on or we're going to hear it through the grapevine because I try my best not to listen to the grapevine. hey -o. Call our office. That's kind of the protocol that I'd ask you to do. Just call our office. Let our office manager know or shoot, shoot an email uh, to one of us. Let us know that that's kind of the appropriate chain so we can, we can know so it's not just this assumed thing. We don't want to assume that something's good or bad in your life. If you want us to know about it, let us know. We want to be there for you. We want to pray for you. We want to let you know we care about you and help you how we can. Celebrate somebody's birthday or some special event in their life with a meal, a dessert, a picnic, or, some, or a party. Just do simple things. Offering to give somebody a ride to church or somewhere else or going to coffee with somebody to read or discuss God's Word or just to simply get to know them more. Or you could take advantage of the Elements series that we're doing too. We're doing the little five-minute videos that we're putting on our website at WOGCC.com under the Resources tab. You can go watch the little video and you can download the notes and there's discussion questions so you can get together with friends or coworkers or family members and you guys can actually take what I'm teaching on the weekend a little bit deeper in your lives. And I want you to do it. Do it at your home. Do it at work. Do it uh, at, at Starbucks or whatever. Take advantage of those things. That's investing. It's not some big, deep, huge thing that is intimidating that you're going, I don't know if I can invest. We can do those things, can't we, church? I said, we can do those things, can't we, church? Y'all yeah. going to have to talk to me. Y'all know how I roll. <laughs> we can invest together as a church family because we're showing one another we care, showing one another we love one another, that we understand what we're called to do. We understand we're called to invest. And for the gospel to make an impact on us and for generations to come, we must be investors. That's what mothers do. And that's what God is calling us as a church family here at Word of Grace to do. So let's grow together in loving God, loving people, serving the world. Would you bow your head this morning? Thank you for listening. 
For more information, please visit wogcc.com.